Hey folks, it's Damon and this is Theater Tales of the Techie. And I'm going to kind of explore uh, or experiment with uh, several podcasts over the last, uh, ever since I started these, and I think I'm on my 61st, podca- 61st podcast, which blows me away. I collect a lot of data and a lot of information from people, from emails and friends that call me. And about two weeks ago, I had a really neat young man reach out to me. Um, and folks, this is what's interesting to me, okay? Um, we all know people that have the same name. I know like eight Chris's. I know three Dave's. I know, or four Dave's. I know a lot of gems. You know, there's a lot of common names. Mike's. Oh my God, I know so many Mike's. Um, but Dean's, I know three Dean's. So I may mention a name sometime in this, in my podcast, and I may not be talking about you. Okay. So I just want to put that out there, but I've collected a lot of information and data and notes. And sometimes I'm in information overload because when I go to create a podcast, I don't want it to ever sound like it's a rant. I want it to sound like it's a somewhat thought out message that I'm trying to put out there for younger people that's thinking about entering the arts. Okay. Um, but two weeks ago, I got a really neat email, um, very long email, uh, reach out to this young man and talk to him. And both his mom and dad have been in sales, uh, their entire lives. Well, I mean, the, the dad now owns a company, um, and the mom still is in like pharmaceutical sales, but, um, this young man said he started listening to my podcast and then he had his dad listen to a few when I talked about sales and both of them were kind of blown away that there is the entire side of the theater industry that is from like a dealer, a rep and a manufacturer's, uh, uh, level, or I shouldn't use the word level, but viewpoint. And, um, I really, really thought about doing a really, well, one of my friends too, who's a rep, who's retiring this year, um, you know, basically said, you know, Damon, you've been doing sales training so long and you've been doing sales, you know, half your life in the industry. And folks, I've got two passions in the industry. Okay. One is sales. I mean, without a doubt, I loved it. And I know some people hate that word sales, but we're all selling something. Okay. Um, but then the other part of me was always development, um, or NPD or R and D or depending on whatever the flavor of the name of your develop, the develop development process is. I've always loved that aspect of this industry. Okay. Um, but early on, my passion was working on stage, you know, being a TD or an LD or being an Emmy or, you know, being all these different, wearing all these different hats on stage. And I loved, oh my God, when I was an audio engineer, I loved it. I loved mixing audio. I loved doing it for small little bar type bands. I loved doing it in the theater. I loved doing it for friends that had a makeshift. Actually, it was a really good recording studio in this friend of mine's basement that I helped them put together a recording studio. And uh, we did some really neat things in that basement. Um, so, <clears throat> um, and folks, you know, what's interesting is Alan Parsons one time said something about audio uh, that essentially what he said was people don't um, build great sound systems or great speakers to be able to listen to the music. They build them to get the most efficient sound system. And they're not really sure they got to play music to know how good the sound system is, but they're using that music as a way to test how good their sound system sounds. And, and I really always connected to that. Actually, I popped that meme up on my Facebook the other day for all my audio friends. Um, but what I'm going to do folks is I'm going to do a series of podcasts where I'm going to really dive down in deep. And look, I know some of you, that are wanting to hear about some of the fun shows I've done and some of the neat, um, <clears throat> you know, like the summer I spent at the Lily theater doing certain shows. I'm always going to do that time of podcast or the rentals. I did. I got a lot of feedback about how much people like me talking about the rentals I did, but I also get a lot of feedback about people wanting to know more about sales. So I'm going to do a series of podcasts. I don't know if it's going to be three, four or five, um, but I'm going to break down, <clears throat> excuse me, what it was like when I worked for manufacturers, what it was like when I worked for rep firms and what it was like when I worked for dealers. But what I'm going to do is I'm not going to talk about just 
how I sold, but the relationships you have to build. Because folks, one of the things when I was talking to this young man that reached out to me two weeks ago is I told him that there's two types of salespeople. There are lazy salespeople and there are strategic salespeople. And, and folks, I know that most people are going to go, well, Damon, there's a lot more types of salespeople. I, I would disagree. In all my experience and all my training, it always comes down to somebody who thinks it's easy and they don't want to put the time into it and they don't realize that they're really being lazy because anybody can sell on price. Anybody. A turtle. You could, you could put two numbers on a concrete uh, sidewalk, put a turtle, and that turtle would walk toward one or two if those were the only two paths it could take. <clears throat> so, folks, I am very passionate about winning. Um, <clears throat> I remember a mentor of mine. One time we were talking uh, at a trade show about sales. And when we walked away, he made a joke to me. And well, no, actually, I made a statement to him. I said, you know, I, I love, love, love learning about sales. And he he just laughed and he says, Damon, you know, what's really weird is you're already fantastic at sales. Just the fact that you say that, the fact you still want to learn, the fact that you still are continually, you know, trying to figure out how to improve, um, sets you apart. And I kind of disagreed with him. I said, well, anybody who's truly in sales should be able to say that. And he says, Damon, most people are lazy. He goes, you just don't realize we are the minority. And folks, I'm going to mention some names. I'm not going to give last names. Okay. But I know a guy named Tony, Warren, Mike, Amy. Well, she's a girl. Um, I know Rob. I know Tom. I know, um, I could probably list 20 reps that I've known for 20 years that get it. And these are extremely successful people living in extremely big houses, driving extremely nice cars, um, all, believe it or not, all within five years of retirement right now. All those 20 people I would name you are either retired in the last two years or going to retire in the next probably three years, maybe four years. 20 of the industry's best salespeople that I know are going to be retired in less than probably four years. The vacuum that's going to leave. Now, here's the thing. All of them have 30 years experience in selling or 20 years experience. So if you're a young college kid right now um, thinking about, oh, wow, I want to fill one of those vacancies. That's what scares the crap out of me. You won't be able to. It's going to take you five years. You know, I was listening to a um, another podcast the other night where somebody really made fun of the Dunning-Kruger effect saying that it's an excuse or um, it blew me away how ignorant it was. And some people want to misinterpret what the Dunning-Kruger effect is. Basically, what the Dunning-Kruger effect is, it says that if you put the time in like 5,000 hours, you can become an expert. But I'm now listening to people talk about, oh, well, the Dunning-Kruger effect because, you know, people don't know what it really is. And these people talking about it don't know what it is. But the bottom line is, is the more experience you get, forget the Dunning-Kruger effect from it. Forget the five or 10,000 hours to be an expert. I personally hate the word expert. But we have, we, we have to have a discussion about what's going to make you the best of the best. We have to have a discussion of how you can absolutely be a winner. We have to have a discussion that you may be a hell of a lot better than one of your coworkers at sales. There's nothing wrong with being the best. There's nothing wrong with being perfect. There's nothing one wrong with kicking ass. There's nothing wrong with being smarter than the next person next to you. We're living in a world where people are like, oh, that guy thinks he's smarter than me. What if that person is? Who gives it? I mean, so folks, when I go to break down these these four or five uh, PowerPoints I'm going to do. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm trying to articulate to you on how you could be the very best of the best. Now, 80%, 90% of the people are going to love you. You're still going to have those haters because they're lazy. They're going to be intimidated by you. They're, they're going to maybe make fun of you. I mean, folks... 
Oh my gosh. You know, if, if I was truly retired, I'm so afraid of doing a podcast like this because I'm going to think that people that I have uh, connections to right now in the industry are going to think I'm talking about them and I'm not. Everything I'm talking to you is basically 10 years ago or earlier or back. Okay. And it still applies 100% today when I'm telling you. Sales fundamentally have not changed in 100 years, except that we have more tools, more technology. If you know 100% the book, The Little Red Book of Sales, and you practice it, and you know the book, Who Moved My Cheese, and you practice it, you're instantly going to be better than over half the world at sales. Instantly. If you could miraculously learn both of those in a week, instantly, in a week, you're probably going to be better than half the salespeople in the world. Within a year, you're probably going to be better than 80 or 90% of the salespeople in the world. Literally. If you practice it and you understand it. Okay? So... When I talked to this young man, well, he reached out two weeks ago. And then when we started talking a little bit more about his mom and dad being in sales and his dad worked his way up through sales where he ran a company and then he decided to go off and buy a company. And, you know, the uh, how happy he said the coolest thing about his family is because of sales, you know, they've been able to buy, you know, a vacation house basically in Arizona. You know, it seems like everybody's building houses in Arizona. <laughs> what the, I know the weather's hot during the summer out there, and I know it's awesome in the winter out there. But I, it's just freaky how many people I know that uh, a pilot friend of mine just last month said, yeah, Damon, I bought a place out in Arizona on an air park. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Um, and maybe there's the end of the world's close, and they all know that Arizona is going to be this, like, place of survival. I don't know. Um, but it's just crazy how many people are going to Arizona right now. Um, but when me and this young man were talking, the things he was telling me about his mom and dad, what they were talking about sales is so spot on, right. And it really pushed me over the hump to make me say, okay, I'm going to do these podcasts. I'm going to talk about true fundamental sales. Okay. Now look, I am not talking about the last 10 years. Okay. I just want to make that so perfectly clear. Um, and quite frankly, the last 10 years, I haven't technically sold that much. Um, I've done a lot of training the last 10 years. Um, and that's another reason that, um, you know, folks, about three months ago, a friend of mine reached out, that a rep that I've known for at least 25 years. And he's like, Damon, you should be using your podcast to really fundamentally break down the different aspects of sales in our industry. And what that person meant was the dealer, the rep, and the manufacturer. They're all tied together, but they're all completely different. And in these podcasts, I want to give you examples. I want I want to give you, um, how do I say this? I want to give you a uh, like a fictitious story of a salesperson and how the salesperson goes from being a zero to being an absolute hero. Okay. Now, am I going to be talking about a particular person? I might be, but that might have been 15 years ago, not the last 10 years. Sorry, folks, I had to take a drink. And um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about the manufacturers. I'm going to talk to the rep firms. I'm going to talk to the dealers. When you think about a manufacturer, manufacturer is going to have two. And I'm not starting. This is not the official subject yet today, okay? But I'm going to just give you a brief overview. The manufacturer is going to have two type of reps. The reps that they um, hire commercially and have a contract with. And then the reps that they actually have as employees which sometimes they call those regional sales managers, okay? And those regional sales managers, for some manufacturers, can actually call on reps, okay? So I'm going to make up some different company names. Now, does this company really exist? Well, theoretically, the essence of what I'm describing is a company in our industry, but that company might be long gone and might be out of business now, okay? Um, but what I'm ultimately trying to articulate in these next four or five podcasts, folks, is that you have to put a lot of work in to be a stellar salesperson. But once you're that stellar salesperson, you can make monstrous money in this industry. Okay. And, you know, I have a neighbor that loves to always say, you know, money isn't everything. 
And I totally, totally agree uh, with this neighbor of mine. But I also said that money pays for colleges, money pays for houses, money pays for retirement. And, and sometimes I don't know, and I'm not putting anybody down when I say this, but sometimes when people say, you know, money doesn't bring happiness, I guess you got to define what that really means to the individual. We're all different. Um, I think it was Mark Cuban said just the other day, forget your passions. You need to figure out how to make as much money as you possibly can until you retire and then worry about your passions. You know, don't treat your life like a hobby. Treat your life like you want to own your house. You want to have a sizable retirement. You want to leave an empire behind and then enjoy your passions. Now, me personally, I could never do that. I'm not wired that way. I love my aviation life too much. And just so you know, folks, something really weird happened this weekend. Oh, and today is February 25th and it's um, 4.05 a.m. Uh, which is a Sunday. So the thing is, folks, I get this email. So I've mentioned other podcasts, but I basically stopped doing all of my outside side jobs that I would do for UAVs and model aviation, all of that, because I'm working on this Manhattan project at work, which is taking a boatload of time, but I love the project. And I really, I love where it's going. It's been a really big challenge, which I love challenges. I kind of walked into something that I, I probably didn't absolutely know everything about, um, but very rarely do you when you're taking on a project. But I had somebody reach out and said, hey, uh, look, Damon, um, and actually here's another person from Arizona, okay? Um, retired a Marine that's working with the Civil Air Patrol, wanting to build a drone that's going to be used for um, uh, search and rescue, uh, basically, it's going to fly and find a down plane, and if there's survivals, it will drop them an emergency kit where they can communicate, blah, blah, blah. He's got the whole design. He can't find anybody to design the landing gears, and he's been looking everywhere. And he has been following my my YouTube for like, I don't know, eight years, 10 years, and uh, which I have, I think, over like 400 videos now on my YouTube about aviation. But the thing is, is that... Um, he was just really, really humble saying, I know from your videos, you're not taking on any other work. Could you recommend somebody? And, um, I, I haven't reached back to him yet, but I'm going to reach back and say, Hey, look, I, I, I'm, I'm interested. I want to look at this for you because folks, I have designed so many landing gears. I could probably just have a brain fart and design one. Okay. Seriously. I have designed so many landing gears in my life. Um, for UAVs and model aircraft and drones and all that, that I can probably go find one of my past designs and barely modify it and, and give it to him and say, here, this will probably work for you. Because this folks do, this person's doing something really, really, really cool. And sometimes in life, we want to be part of cool things. Okay? So what I want to do in this podcast, what I want to talk about right now, okay, so, you know, in the future, I'm going to break down the manufacturer, break down the type of reps, then I'm going to break down reps and what those, who those reps call on. And then I'm going to break down the dealers. Okay. And I've done past podcasts a little bit like this, but not with the way I'm going to break these down. And look, there's going to be no time limit. I know you may get bored. I don't know if the podcast is going to go 30 minutes long or an hour and a half long, but I'm going to fundamentally break these down. Now, some people might say, well, Damon, aren't you giving away secrets? Aren't you teaching the entire world how to sell? Um, I'm going to be really, really probably politically incorrect. Most people are too fuck, freaking... <laughs> Most people... Um, I hope that whole word didn't come out there. Most people are too lazy to take what I'm saying serious. They are know-it-all salespeople that think they've already got it figured out and they don't want to learn anything else. That's the reason, folks, I said earlier, I was at a trade show talking to one of my mentors, having dinner, and we walked away. I told him, I said, man, I said, you have that you have just really opened up my eyes to some different ideas of sales. This was a fantastic dinner, thanks. And he's like, Damon, you're already one of the most kick-ass salespeople I know. For you to say that means that you really want to learn more. <clears throat> and, and folks, I always, here's something I want to tell you. The more you learn about sales, the easier they are. And the easier they are, the easier it is to get money. Okay? So what I want to do, folks, though, is I want to fundamentally break down you as a person right now. 
and what sales could relate to you in this podcast. And then I'm going to break down the manufacturer reps and dealers. But here's something that is really, folks, I used to do a lot of independent sales training, teaching people how to sell. And I'm not going to go into how much I charge per hour, how much I charge per um, case, as I used to call them. Um, But I found out some fundamental things about people. Okay. Um, And I'm going to, I'm going to relate this to model aircraft for a minute. If you ever know anything about me, I love to design from scratch my own what's called giant scale airframes. And these are model airplanes that have 20 foot wingspans with 10 horsepower, three phase electric motors. These are big ass model aircraft. Some so big that I have to actually follow a certain guideline for the FAA to let me fly it. Under the Academy of Model Aeronautics, if I'm over 55 pounds, I'm part of the large model uh, program which means I have to do certain testing and demonstration flights and basically like almost getting an experimental aircraft uh, certified to fly in real life. Most of those projects would take me three to four years to build and fly and then enjoy. Four years. Or you can buy what's called an ARF, almost ready to fly. And literally when two hours of putting it together, you can go fly the airplane. Two totally different paths to get into the air and model aviation. One that takes two hours and one that took four hours. Which one do you think the person learns more from? The one that takes four years. Because folks, when I took on some of these projects that I did that took four years or five years, I learned so much about carbon fiber, laying up carbon fiber, laying up fiberglass. Um, I learned a lot of mistakes about titanium. I learned a lot about 4130 chromoly steel. I learned a ton about that when I built my ultralight and I had to TIG weld my own airframe. Um, sorry, folks, I'd take another drink. Um, <clears throat> and in sales, there's, there's honestly, and folks, I'm, I'm, I just want to be real in my podcast. I, I don't want to come across as a fraud. And try to appease everybody. I know there's going to be haters. But in my mind. You break salespeople down into two categories. Lazy. And successful. Honestly it's that simple. The lazy ones sell in price. Anybody. Like I said earlier. I mean a turtle could sell in price. And there's this false. Uh, how how do I say this? There's there's when you sell on price, there's something really weird that happens. Okay, and I have seen this, and it's so hard for me to coach people through it. So you bring a salesperson on, and you see two columns. You see how much are their net sales. And how much are the margins they're selling at? Okay. And I have lost my mind with managers in the past that are okay. They say, well, early on, Damon, when this person's on the road selling, you know, they're getting volume. And I'm like, yeah, but what are their margins at? Oh, their margins are terrible, Damon. Well, you you can't, you can't teach somebody sales and say it's okay to come out of the gate selling at bad margins. Now, If you're a college kid and you don't understand right now margins, so imagine this. You and your roommate build the widget 5000, okay? You 3D print it. You look at how much the, and let's say the widget 5000 is something that clips onto an iPhone that does something neat and all the college students shit themselves going, oh my God, I got to have the widget 5000. And you and your roommate in your dorm Invented and 3D printed this thing. And your 3D printer's going to only print so many. So now you're like, okay, gosh, what do we do, guys? We accidentally stumbled across something that's going to make us some money, and we're only sophomores in college. So you get another friend to help you, and they buy a 3D printer. So now there's three friends. You got three 3D printers, and they're printing the piss out of them. They're just printing all the time your widget 5000s. But then you start realizing that 
when you started selling them, you were selling them at a price that you thought everybody wanted them at because you'd gone to Amazon and you'd gone to other places and looked at pricing. But what you didn't realize is when the Chinese are making it for Amazon, <clears throat> they're making 20000 a day. You're making fifty a day. And then when you start looking at how much your 3D printers cost, how much your 3D filament cost, how much the shipping cost and everything, you realize that for this $30 widget you're selling, the widget 5,000, you're only making two bucks. So you sell a hundred of them and you made $200. And you three look at each other and you're like, well, oh my God, guys, we got to mark this up. Well, that's terrible because all these people that got excited seeing your price are now going to see you raise your price. So you came out of the gate with the wrong price because you were ignorant to what you were doing. Okay. So you're making crap margin. If you're selling something, let's say it's for a hundred bucks and it costs you $98. That's a crap margin. You want to know what an awesome margin is? You build something, 3D print it. You take into the cost of your 3D printers, the, your labor and your shipping and you have that number, and let's say that number is $44, and you can sell it for 100 Now you're at Mark Cuban level of profit. You're at one of the Shark Tank guys level of profit. Anything over 50% profit or margin is awesome. <clears throat> but imagine you're a brand new green salesperson, and everywhere you go, they say your product's too expensive. And you lower your price. And now you're, you're, you're coming back with orders. And everybody's like, oh my God, Johnny, you've only been on, on, on board for six months and you've got killer numbers. But your margins are shit. Ultimately, somebody's going to come to you and say, look, Johnny, you've got to get your margins back up. You can't give away this product. Nobody ever taught you. Nobody ever took the time to mentor you. Nobody ever took the time to show you how you needed to truly do this. In the theater industry, folks, there is a time and a place where you sell on margin. You might have internet sales where you have virtually nothing as far as, you know, you take a product and you have to ship it, okay? That product might already be made by somebody else. You're just a reseller on something like that. You might be able to sit down with everybody in the room and say, okay, guys, we're going to take a 15% margin. Sorry, folks. I'm really dehydrated. <laughs> I keep drinking. But the, but the, the fundamental problem is, is that if you don't have a manager or somebody who is mentoring this salesperson to understand that in the theater industry, Everything is relationship sales. Everything. Folks, when I worked at STTV very early on, and I drove around that little white van all over Indiana and would visit all the high schools and universities, I was so green at first, but I had one of the greatest mentors, a guy named Fred, who would sit down and say, Damon, everybody wants to give everything away. You've got to educate people on, there's much more to them just buying a product from us. They're buying our service. They're buying our loyalty. They're buying the fact we're driving around and meeting them hand to hand. We are face to face. There's so much more than just the product involved in a sales. Okay. When you think of the word Apple or Microsoft or Tesla or things like that, <clears throat> people think of greatness. At least most people do. And when they think of that greatness, there's something that already subliminally in your mind tells you, I'm probably going to pay more. If somebody says BMW, Porsche, Jaguar, Ferrari, Lamborghini, you're thinking, well, the only way I could do that is to dream. Because those are expensive, best of the best type things. Why do we think that? Because marketing has told us that. So when you think of fundamental sales, you can be a dipshit and sell anything on price. It takes no IQ to sell on price. But there are going to be times, like through internet sales, 
I mean, I could probably give you four or five examples where selling on price is going to help that trickle. But every time you sell on price, it, no matter what, and this is a fact, and Einstein would agree with me, you're hurting margin. Now, you may have an acceptable internal margin. Let's say in your widget 5000 company that you you and your friends build, you grow it and you got to buy some you know warehouse space and you're buying 3D printers and you're going to just really go crazy. Um, and folks, I'm fighting a sneeze right now. So I'm going to, no, okay. Hang on a minute. Uh, okay. Sneeze went away. Um, I hate sneezing in a podcast, but, um, but the thing is, is that let's say these guys all put together a company and, and folks, what I'm going to tell you is something that a lot of people don't ever think about and it blows me away. And, and I, I'm not, I don't know why but I've seen really successful companies do this. Okay. <clears throat> so I'm going to give you an example of when you could sell something with completely crap margins and I'm talking garbage margins. Okay. So let's say hypothetically speaking, these two or three guys end up with warehouse space and they build the widget 6,000. Okay. The next step of whatever they're building they've learned that they got to have margin. Okay. They learn that they've got to do it right. And they start selling them and they're very successful and they're very successful at a 50% margin. <clears throat> and they're like, okay, how do we get more of the world to know about us? How do we get the world to, to truly understand what we're doing? And somebody says, why don't we do a keychain?" And the other guy in the room's like, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, why don't we make a keychain? has our logo <coughs> excuse me folks <laughs> i know i hate sneezing but then i just cough so and and you know let's say the ceo goes okay i want to hear more tell me about this keychain he goes we make these keychains for two bucks we sell them for basically two bucks we don't make a dime off it but we flood the entire market and these keychains have our logo on it has our email address it has a little um url url code but it's a way to just get it out there so the CEO, which is some 20-year-old, let's say, says, <clears throat> okay, so this is a marketing thing. He goes, yeah. And he goes, how much is this going to bring down our margins? <clears throat> he goes, it's going to bring us from 50 to 45% margins. He goes, okay. But the guy says it's going to increase our sales 300%. That is a no-brainer. <laughs> okay. So you can have a product that actually has a crap margin. But it's, it's helping sell a product that has a very sustainable and very profitable margin. So if you triple your sales and you only go down 5% in margins, that's a pretty kick-ass gig. But as a salesperson, when you sell on in the industry, in the back of your mind, you always need to think about, am I making the company I'm working for profit? Am I helping them grow? Because if you only think about yourself. That company one day is only going to think about itself and kick you to the curb. There's no reason when you work for a company that you shouldn't be all in for that company. If you're only in it for yourself, it's not going to last. You're, you're going to fail. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, when I talk about the type of salespeople, the completely dirtbag, lazy, worthless salesperson, could be a great person. The dog, your dog could love you. Your wife's awesome. Everybody, you could be the most lovable person in the world. But the reason you're a dirtbag at sales is because you never took the time to learn. You don't think you need to learn. You know, folks, how many times I've done sales training and I see people roll their eyes. And I'm just like, why would you do that? Why would you hire a person to get in front of you? to talk about sales and roll your eyes. Are you that good? If you are, why aren't you up on that little podium talking? Why did they hire me? Somebody in that company thought it was worth hiring me and let me talk to these eight or 10 people. <clears throat> and guess what? Those people that roll their eyes are usually the ones with the worst sales. They do drive a nice car and they do drive the fancy suit, but they're probably in debt up to their neck. Um, Sorry, folks, I keep drinking. See, this is the reason I hate podcasts in some ways. <clears throat> if this is a video, you'd understand what I'm doing. But folks, 
if if you want if you want to be the best at anything, it is going to take time. You are you don't pop out of the womb as a Picasso. I don't mean the painting. I'm talking about the person. You don't pop out of the womb an Elon Musk overnight. Okay. And look, folks, I know nowadays people don't like to talk about Elon Musk because there's all kind of political ramifications in his opinion. But if you look at him as an entrepreneur and somebody who built something incredible, you can't take that away from him. Okay. He may have some really messed up ideas politically and the way he behaves in the public. But when you look at what he has created, I mean, it it really is pretty close to second to none, unless you include like an Apple or, um, you know, some, some other company, um, that was really up and coming. And, and folks, another thing I want to tell you one time, I, I was at a, a, uh, conference and I was meeting with three or four people, um, about, uh, a potential sales thing. Uh, basically, I was going to train a group of people on how our industry worked. These were people from the outside looking in. They wanted me to spend four hours and teach them how our industry works from sales, from the you know the manufacturer, the rep, and the dealer. These were people that were thinking about buying a company in our industry. This was about 15 years ago. <clears throat> and it was really awkward for me because these people were uber rich very sophisticated, um, but it blew me away. So one of the things I shared with them folks is how many times I have told people in my life, they should not hire me. And I think I've touched on this before in my podcast, but folks, most of the time that I've changed jobs, I've been recruited. Somebody came, sought me out, started talking to me. We started talking about a possible future together then we ultimately talked money, then I would make the decision to stay or go. And I don't know if this sounds arrogant, okay? And I I don't ever mean to sound arrogant, okay? Because, you know, folks, I've had people say, you know, Damon, you're a good salesperson. I'm like, I disagree. I'm a great freaking salesperson. Don't say I'm good. Okay, because folks, I am really, really good at sales. Okay, I'm proud of that. I love to be proud of that. But something was said to me one time when I was explaining to these people about my past. And this was a pretty big CEO type, big wig or CFO. <clears throat> and he says, Damon, I love hiring managers that don't uh, want to be managers. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, really good people are going to tell you flat out, I don't want to do that. that. That's not for me. And he goes, it's the people that come to me begging that they want the job that are normally the people that don't do any good. He goes, I love hiring people that don't want to do the job. And at first I didn't get that. I'm like, what the hell, you know? But then when that night, when I was thinking about it, that was me, the current job I had. I have right now, uh, nine years ago when I met with the CEO, cause I went through five or six different people in the hiring process. When I met with the CEO, I said, you do not want to hire me. And he's like, why not? I said, I, I'm, I, I am a different type of person. <clears throat> and I said, I'm, I'm not a corporate person. I don't usually fall into all of those little pegs and notches. And he said, Damon, I need somebody that is, going to be independent and be able to, to basically get it done. And I said, well, I, I don't think you guys are going to like me. And I've been here nine years and I guess they like me. But the thing is folks, is that you will know after eight or 10 years of being in sales, who you are and what you are, and you're going to realize and, and Folks, you know, I feel like I'm walking on pins and needles or on hand grenades or mines sometimes because I don't want to say anything that anybody's going to think that I'm talking about current events today because I'm not. I'm trying to keep every bit of this uh, 10 years or earlier or nine years or earlier. Um, 
But one fundamental thing I found out about sales that just blew me away is CEOs need people that are going to perform. They need people that are going to sell and sell like mad and sell at target or higher margins. That's what they need. And those people are out there. In our industry, they're out there. I mentioned a lot of their names at the beginning of this. But here's one of the problems with that. A lot of those people don't want to work for manufacturers. They want to work for their own little independent rep firm because they're their own bosses. They can control their destiny and they can put all the profits in their pocket. So believe it or not, the best of the best salespeople in this industry are normally in that vacuum of reps, the independent rep. Why would you go to work for a manufacturer? Let's say the manufacturer can pay you $150,000 a year to be a VP of sales, let's say, just making up a number. Why would you do that if you can make $225,000 a year as a rep? You wouldn't. But that person's skills and their experiences would be perfect for that VP job at the manufacturer. Most manufacturers have a very narrow bandwidth of understanding what they should pay people. If a independent rep that has half of a state can make $225,000 a year and you have a uh, VP who's looking over, let's say, a third of the country and they want to pay that person hundred grand, and I'm just making up some hypothetical numbers, folks. I don't know. I'm talking 10 years ago and more. Manufacturers took a long time to learn that they've got to pay these people a lot of money if they really want to have the best talent. And they've learned. I mean, right now, today, <clears throat> there are manufacturers paying that $150,000 a year. Um, and if you're a college student and you're sitting here going, gosh, you know, Damon, I do want to get into sales. The most important thing for you to think about is it's going to take you at least five years, six years, to get the experience and skills of going out and meeting the right people. Now, folks, I haven't even started to break down the dealer, the rep, the manufacturer. I'm talking about fundamentally you, what you're going to have to prepare yourself for. If you want to be the most kick-ass, badass salesperson in the industry. And by the time you're 60 to own a couple of houses and, and see folks, this is, this is something that was interesting. I was just talking to one of my best friends in the industry. Well, one of eight, um, and we're talking about retirement and, you know, I've said before in earlier podcasts, I'm probably going to work till I'm 70. I'm 61 right now, but I don't know what I would really, truly, truly do if I walked away from this industry. Um, I know for a fact I could make more money in developing aviation things. I know for a fact I could do it. Um, but I, I bet there's this, this, there's this thing, there's this passion there's this love for this industry um, and there's love for these for people I know in this industry. I mean, um, there, there's going to come a point in your life. Well, gosh, how do I say this? You know, if you're a dirtbag piece of crap that just is really always selfish and you, you, you don't, nobody ever knows you're selfish. Nobody really knows how to look from the outside in on yourself. I learned so much about human behavior, trying to learn about sales folks, that if you are a true douchebag, you don't know you're a true, true douchebag. You really don't, but you gotta, you gotta pick up on the way people react to you. How many people are texting you a day? Hey, what's going on? If no one's texting you four or five times a day, hey, what's going on? You could be a douchebag. Um, if you know, if you have no friends in the industry, you could be a douchebag. Okay, I mean, literally, folks, between my Facebook and Instagram and text to me, I probably have three or four different people that I send funny memes out or well, text them, hey, what's going on? This industry is such a tight knit industry. I mean, we got USITT coming up in about a month. And oh, and folks, that's another thing I want to break down in one of these podcasts, one of these four or five podcasts. Um, if you're a salesperson right now in our industry and you have not lined up all your dinners with all your clients at USITT next month, 
If you have not aligned your CEOs and your, your, your VP of sales and everybody to see all the right clients, you're probably not doing a good job. Folks, when I used to do trade shows, I had my three-month countdown. Three months, I'm sending out, hey, are you going to LDI or USITT? Yep, I am. Okay, great. When it gets closer, I want to touch base with you. Two months out, hey, what are you doing You know, as far as lunches and dinners and breakfasts at USITT or LDI, whichever one it was? Oh, well, Damon, I'm open right now. <clears throat> okay, are you sure you're going? Oh, I'm definitely going. I've got it booked. Okay, Friday night, 6 o'clock, Del Frisco's, Las Vegas. You know, that's for LDI. That's where I took all my clients was Del Frisco's. And what was really cool is everybody at Del Frisco's knew me. I'd walk in, Mr. Atwood, great to see you back. And, you know, everybody's like shitting their pants like, my God, David, you own stock in Del Frisco's? Folks, I have spent tens of thousands of dollars at Del Frisco's in Las Vegas. So, yeah, I should own some stock. And actually, I did get enough points from, from taking clients so that I got a knife one time. Um, a really nice knife that I couldn't take on carry on. I had to fly at home because you can't take, you know, big old like meat cutting knives on an airplane. But, but folks, literally USITT is, is a month away. If you're in this industry right now and you have not lined up all these dinners, you have failed. I kid you not because folks, one of the things I used to do is, you know, I've said it for another podcast. I would have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and normally two dinners at night with my consultant friends and my dealer friends when I was in that position. And, and honestly, if you're in sales and you work for a manufacturer or you're a rep and you have not lined up all these dinners and everything with your... And keep in mind, if any of your leadership is going to the show, <clears throat> you always want to ask, just, just give them the opportunity to see if they want to sit in on one of your meetings. Now, if you're not... If you're not the creator of that meeting, it's none of your business. You don't ever want to look like the person. So I'll give you an example. Let's say I got a coworker. Let's call, um, gosh, I don't want to use, use the name Wally. My dog's name Wally. Okay. 105 pound Bernice Mountain Dog. Let's say Wally had um, set up a dinner between a client, Wally and myself. If I were to reach out and not be the creator of the meeting, if I were to reach out to, let's say, the VP of sales and say, hey, look, me and Wally are going out with this really important client. Do you want to go? Sure, I'd love to go. Wally could be offended because he's the one who set up set the whole thing up with the client. You were just the add-along. I would be the add-along. Now, if I'm the one who orchestrated that dinner and I was inviting Wally, I'd say, Wally, I'm going to send an email to the CEO and ask if they want to sit in or the VP or whoever leadership I would want, maybe the VP of uh, marketing, whatever. But if you are not a month out already, you know, I texted yesterday, folks, I can't say the person's name, but there's this really cool person who's in charge of these three or four theaters. And we were texting back and forth. And I said, just yesterday, I think it was, I reached out to this person. I don't want to say if it's a he or a she and said, Hey, you know, are you going to USITT? And they're like, I am. I'm like, you want to get together for a drink or dinner or something? I do. Okay. Um, now, this person isn't even, even a client of mine. It's just a friend of mine in the industry, but they're a very important friend. And I always want to keep that dotted line between me and them connected. One reason is because of the big, cool, kick-ass manufacturer I work for. The other reason is, is because... I want to keep that connection the rest of my life with these people. You know, folks, you are building relationships. You can either sell on price and be a douchebag, or you can create relationships where you have these monstrous margins and you're a freaking superhero within the company. You know, folks, I had a client at a high school in... Let me say it like this, between Indianapolis and Fort Wayne, okay, the school system. And this guy is probably 85 or 90 or, God, I no, he could be 100 years old now. Because he was old when I was calling on him 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And one time I asked him if he had time um, to go to McDonald's and grab a burger before I was going to drive back to Indianapolis. He goes, sure, Damon. So we were at a McDonald's and... Um, I said, look, and folks, I had a product that he bought quite a bit of, but I knew it was expensive. 
And I said, look, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to get a better uh, uh, discount for you. And he says to me, Damon, why? It's the school's money. He goes, I'm sure you guys got to make money. He goes, you know, I'm, I'm cap- perfectly fine buying it from you. I said, yeah, but I'm not the cheapest. He goes, but Damon, you deliver it to me. You're here once a month. We've known each other how many years? So folks, at that point, I started to really realize it's the relationship in many cases. I mean, think, and I want you to really think about that for a minute. Here I have a client telling me, Damon, you don't need to be giving me a discount. It's the school's freaking money. You know, I'm sure you guys have to make money. This old guy probably knew more about margin at that moment in my life when I was doing sales than I did. So folks, at the end of the day, the manufacturer has to make enough money to pay for everything you don't see. I mean, can you imagine, folks, one time as just a funny little exercise, I was working with a uh, company that was hiring me to teach sales. I said, do you have a list of everything that you guys have to pay for to run this company? And the CFO was like, what do you mean? I said, I want to have a PowerPoint slide where I showed to the five people I'm going to be training what your overhead is to run this company. And the CFO goes, yeah, I can do that. And, you know, the CEO type guy, I don't think he called himself the CEO. I think he's just the president. He said, why? And I said, because I want to teach these guys if they can't sell on margin, they shouldn't be salesperson, salespeople. I said, most people have no idea that every time they give away 10 or 15%, you know, they're hurting some part of this company. And the CFO loved the idea. The president wasn't really sure that, you know, and look, guys, this president was pretty cool, but I don't think he even got how important it was to build relationship sales over selling on price. And, and folks, it's hard sometimes. You know, you got to understand, folks, I, I, and, and I don't want to get too far off track. I flew in one time. Um, hang on, folks. I got to sneeze. Sorry about that, folks. I've been fighting a sneeze for like 15 or 20 minutes. So, and I just completely lost my track of mind. Isn't that terrible? But this 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 CEO that really didn't get it. Um, and I shouldn't say it like that. But 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 folks, there are and I don't want to get too far off track in this podcast, but folks, I'll never ever ever forget that I flew into town one time to meet with this firm. Um, this is when I worked for a manufacturer a long time ago, and I was looking over 36 rep firms and the, uh, owner of the company and me and this sale VP of their sales went out to lunch, had a great lunch. And that night when me and the owner had dinner, he said to me, you know, Damon, what did you think of, you know, I'm going to make up a name Wally. What do you think of Wally at lunch? I said, I don't know him. I said, is he a good guy? And he goes, he's got huge sales. And I said, well, are you pretty happy? He goes, no, I think I'm going to have to fire him. And I was like, okay, I don't get it. Is this like a trick question? He goes, Damon, he can't sell anything and retain margins. He gives everything away. <clears throat> I keep trying to teach him. I've done everything. He goes, that's one thing I want you to really help him understand. So he, this, this firm was wanting me to help their VP of sales to understand in our industry how to sell. Now understand, folks, here's one of the problems. Um, People don't always understand. Excuse me, I had to take a drink. When you get hired, you're scared. You are. All of us are scared. When we first get hired, we're scared. We're in an unfamiliar environment. We're in a new environment. Um, Well, let me back up. I'm not scared. Okay, I'm going to sound arrogant as hell. I'm not scared because I'm kick-ass at what I do and I know how to win in this industry. But most people, especially if you're younger, just getting on board for the first time, okay, you take the job and you're going to be, let's say, VP of sales. You're scared, okay? But there will be a point in your life that you're going to learn that you won't be. That's all I'm trying to make a point here, folks. I'm not scared of anything when it comes to sales now. I've done it my own <laughs> my entire life, okay? Um but what I'm trying to articulate here is let's say you walk in there, you're scared, you're terrified, and you have two paths to follow. 
instant gratification or the long haul. Instant gratification, folks, is so tempting. You know, you got five dealers calling you up. The dealers are like, I can get this order if you give it to me at this price. And you're like, hell yeah, here's your price. A month later, the owner's like, you gave away all these orders. What are you doing? And I'm going to talk in the future, folk. Let those dealers all fight it out. If you're a manufacturer, you don't need to drop your price a freaking dime. If your base is designed on a product and the entire world wants your product, why in the world would you drop your number? Let everybody else <laughs> have a slug fest. Not you. You're the manufacturer. But folks, I'm going to wind this down because holy crap. See, I told you these podcast folks are going to go long. There is so much to talk about in fundamental sales. And I haven't even started breaking down the differences. I mean, not the differences. I don't want to talk about the differences between a manufacturer, a rep, and a dealer. I want to talk about how to kick ass as a manufacturer, a rep, or a dealer. Okay? Now, let's say right now you're sitting in a room with me. Okay? And I'm going to teach you sales. You can log out or you know turn off my podcast and walk away. Or you could listen. And the ones that are listening are probably the ones that are going to end up being kick-ass. In a podcast, I would never see you roll your eyes. Because if you're rolling your eyes, you're probably turning off the podcast because you think I'm full of shit. But if you're listening to me and you really want to be good and you really want to kick-ass and you really want to win, that is so easy. But it takes time, which is hard. <laughs> okay? So think about this. You are an 18-year-old, and this is how I'm going to end my podcast. You're an, you're, you're, your name is Johnny Rocket, and I'm curious. I'm serious. That's your real name, Johnny Rocket. You're an 18-year-old. All these people are recruiting you to go to colleges. You're straight A's. You're kick-ass. You are just, you are, I mean, you are a walking legend with being in that high school. And you go to this like, like uh, the job, I mean, the uh, college recruitment fair or whatever they call it. And you're standing in that room and you see like Melanoma, I mean, Melanoma, I'm sorry, folks. I know a guy that went to Melanoma that's an idiot and I always call it Melanoma because I think of him. <clears throat> Pardon me. If you go to Melanoma, it's, it's a great college, but you got Melanoma, you got Oxford, Harvard. Let, let's just say all these colleges are recruiting you. But you see a little table over there and it says the United States Air Force. And you walk over there because Johnny Rocket grew up loving model airplanes and loving rockets. And sitting there is a man and a woman and they're like, uh, can I help you? And you're like, my name's Johnny Rocket. And they're like, are you kidding me? And like, nope, my name's really Johnny Rocket. And they're like, are you thinking about maybe joining the Air Force? He goes, I don't know. He goes, you know, I've got the best, you know, grades in the school. I'm, I'm the big cheese at the school academically. What would my future look like in the Air Force? And they said, well, you would, you know, if, if you want to, we recommend going to college. And the moment you walk out of college, you know, you, I mean, we can recruit you now with the understanding that the moment you graduate from college, you start as an officer. And within three years, you're going to be flying fighter jets. And within another three years after that, you will be an incredible fighter pilot. And Johnny Rocket's like, I'm ready to sign right now. I'm 18 years old. He didn't even think about talking to his parents. He didn't think of anything. Johnny Rocket was ready to make a decision. So he signs the paperwork. He's going to be recruited in the moment he graduates college. So what does Johnny Rocket do now? He walks across the room to Purdue University. Says Purdue University, I want to go to your college for four years academically. I am a god. I'm uh, going to go into the Air Force. Purdue's like, we love guys like you. Come on board. So let's say <clears throat> four years later, he walks out of Purdue, walks into the Air Force. Three years later, he's flying fighter jets. And he ends up in combat. And within two years, he's an ace. Shot down two airplanes. Was that the lazy way? No, but he's, is he the, one of the greatest freaking fighter pilots in the world? He is. Is it easy for him to take out the bad guy? It is. It's easy. Was that path hard? Hell yeah, it was hard. That's sales, folks. If you want to take the hard path, sales will get so easy after five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years. 
that you'll look back on it and not even think about that six or eight or 10 years you put into it because your sales are so incredibly cool. Your margins are high. Everybody wants a piece of you. You're buying a second house. You got your trophy wife. You got your great dogs. I mean, honestly, folks, if you ever chose to take that path in our industry to be in sales, <clears throat> that first six or eight years, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to learn a lot. Don't roll your eyes when somebody tells you. <laughs> folks, I don't know how. I'm trying not to make fun of people. But but folks, there's so many people that freaking sell on price. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Why aren't you fired? Do you know how many times I've met people and they're like, yep, I've had the greatest sales last year. I got a trophy or I got a plaque. I mean, I know a guy that's got a whole wall of plaques, but the guy never, ever sold anything on margin. I, I would never would have hired that person. I would have fired that person within a month. So, so folks, you know, literally you could sell a hundred million dollars a year at 0% margin which means you gave it all away. Nobody made any profit. But what happens if you sell $4 million for a manufacturer or a rep or a dealer at 10% above target margin? They're going to love you. They're going to build a throne for you. To, I mean, they, they, people will be recruiting you. People will be worshiping you. People will be like, where the hell have you been? And then... You'll probably say, well, screw this. I want to work for myself and create my own rep firm and keep all the profit in my own pocket and buy that second house. Get my trophy wife a Porsche. You know, <laughs> I'm not kidding, folks. There's that kind of money in this industry. There really is. And I'm going to break all that down on the next podcast, all of it. So, folks, this is my first podcast that went over an hour, and I'm sorry. Um, but these are... You may have to listen to these in different parts, okay? I mean, folks, if this was going to be one continuous podcast, it'd be probably eight hours long. And I definitely don't want to talk for eight hours. Um, so that's it. So honestly, you could be Johnny Rocket. I kid you not. Anybody in this industry that really wants to take to learn within six or eight years. I mean, think about Johnny Rocket's path he took. Four years of Purdue, three years in the Air Force. <clears throat> and that three years is a guess. I don't remember what it is nowadays. <clears throat> but seven years flying fighter jets in seven years. What if in seven years you were a salesperson in our industry making 150000 a year? Okay, that might be a pretty kick-ass gig. And folks, it can happen a lot faster than that. I have really, folks, I have worked with probably three people, four people that made more money than I did, which, which is, is, is a really weird thing for me to accept sometimes. Okay. I mean, it, there's something weird folks when I'm the person who trains somebody and then they go out and they kick ass so much and start their own company and are making twice what I do in five years. There's a real weird morality to that to me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's like, yeah, I, I was the teacher, but they ended up making two or three times more than me. You know, why can't I do that? Um, and I probably could, but I, I like what I do right now. So look, that's it, folks. Um, rock on. If you're, uh, please support the arts. If you're a parent, please support your kid's passion in this. I made a lot of jokes that there's a lot of other things they could be in where they're not happy. Don't ever force a kid to go down a path that they don't want to go because that will never work. If your kid's passionate about theater, and even if they say, I'm going to be a lighting designer my entire life, say rock on. But if that kid comes to you and says, mom, dad, I really don't like theater. My name's Johnny Rocket and I, I'm going to go to Purdue. Then let him do that. You know, I know a lot of people that love theater through high school and then went off on the different directions in life. That's fine. But if your kid has the passion and wants their life to be in theater, please back that. So rock on everybody. I'm going to try to have one of these um, every five days or less. I'm going to try to pump these out as fast as I can because I, I just, it's awkward for me talking about, I mean, breaking down sales this, this deep 
and strategically, but I just want to get it out there and get it done. So rock on everybody. Have a great day. Be safe. Uh, take care and bye-bye.